Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Welcome back, everybody, to the No Laying Up podcast. We have a special guest today for the first time ever on the podcast, senior editor from Golf Digest and one of Sports Illustrated's top Twitter, top 100 Twitter accounts to follow in sports, Ashley Mayo herself. Ashley, welcome. How are you today? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I bet you didn't think I'd try to embarrass you right off the bat. I know. (laughs) I'm like blushing. You know, when I saw that on Sports Illustrated, I was... And then who the other golfers were uh, on that it's list. Good company. I was just like, it's great company. You know, number one golfer in the world, <laughs> Bubba, Christina Kim, and Ashley Mayo. It's like crazy. <laughs> was it, did they contact you before that happened, or were you completely surprised when you saw that? I was completely surprised. Uh, my friend Charlie Couts is the one who texted me like, oh, my God, <laughs> have you seen SI's, you know, Twitter 100? And uh, so that was the first time that I had heard. And yeah, it was a it was a cool honor for sure. Well, have you thawed out at all from the New York winter? Because everything I'm seeing from my friends in the Northeast, it's been snowing basically every day. I haven't seen snow yet this year, not to rub it in. So what's oh. going on in New York? Well, Chris, today it's 60 degrees. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. You can rub it so, in. So today's the very first day that feels like spring. Uh, we got a little hint of it yesterday. And... Yeah, uh, Trump uh, Ferry Point, which is the new Trump's new course in the Bronx, uh, just allowed tea time bookings today. So, um, you know, I think it's supposed to open on April 1st. Uh, so the golf season is just around the corner. It's very exciting for us yeah. Northeasterners. That's what I was going to ask next is how much dust have your clubs been collecting so far this year? <laughs> Well, you know, Chris, I'm, I'm lucky. I get to travel a good bit. Um, yeah, we I'm, see it, all right? We I know. <laughs> <laughs> you are quite lucky. You don't have to explain that to us. I'm very lucky, yeah. And so my, my clubs right now have just a little bit of dust. They have like a small, thin film of dust because I haven't swung a golf club for about a month. But that's going to change, actually, on Friday. I'm playing with Shane Bacon and, and Charlie. Um, and uh, we're playing in Austin because we're going there for South by Southwest. So oh, nice. uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know we're where you're playing gonna... in Austin? Yeah. Barton Creek. Barton Creek. Okay. I don't know that one. I've played it. Uh, Falconhead, I think is the name of the course I played in Austin. It's really, it's, it's pretty good track, but I don't oh, know okay. much about Austin golf, but I'm, yeah. I'm, sure, no. I'm sure your guys' tee times are, f- are fully filled out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on with uh, South by what is it South by Southwest? You guys are going down there for what's the uh, what's the golf connection going on there? Um, there are four of us who are going to speak on a panel, and so it's myself, Shane Bacon, Charlie Couts, and Andrew Kipper, um, and we're chatting on a panel on Saturday at nine thirty a.m. at South by Southwest, just talking about the future of golf. So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, the four of us kind of bring. A different background uh, to to the panel, and uh, the conversation is going to cover quite a lot of topics. So it, it'll be good. Yeah, I keep I, about the future of golf is one of the topics I want to talk to you about because I keep seeing so much on uh, social media and so many articles about 
And I don't know what to believe regarding the numbers in the game. I hear less people are playing the game now, but I hear rounds are up. Yeah. Total rounds played are up. And everyone has a theory as to what the future of the game is and the game's doom. And I don't really buy any of that. But as a, I'm an avid golfer myself. You're an avid golfer. Why do you and I, other than you wanting Golf Digest to sell magazines, for me personally, I don't, I'm fine if the tee sheet's open on Saturday. I don't need a ton of, right. a ton of people out there <laughs> playing. <laughs> yeah, and that, I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, hey, I'm, I'm good with three and a half hour rounds. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I've heard the same thing. And I play a lot of, well, I play most of my golf at public courses because I'm not a member anywhere. And when I go to the Bronx, it, they're six-hour rounds easily. So I'm just like, I don't know where all these drop-offs and rounds played are happening. Um, but, yeah, when when I hear that figure that fewer people are playing the game today um, than five years ago, it's they're not accounting for the people. Those, those numbers are accounting for the people who are leaving the game, not necessarily coming into the game. Um, the fact is that growth has been, you know, stagnant over the last five years, but we haven't lost participation. We're not seeing the big boom that happened 15, 10 years ago. Um, but every every sport has its ebb and flow and its you know high time and low time. And I, I golf as a sport is healthier than it's ever been in many ways because we have people that are super creative, like the top golfs of the world and the Bryan brothers who are putting their own little spin on golf. And so all these different kind of ways to to play the game are emerging. Uh, and I think golf, the definition of golf is more fluid now than it once was. Yeah, and I don't think it hurts the industry when there's people that play maybe four times a year that now play zero times a year. Like I, I don't think we're losing the, the real golfers. There's no one that's been playing golf their whole life that's now saying, you know what, I'm done with this sport. It's too expensive. It, it's a sport with a huge barrier to entry. It's very frustrating. It's expensive to play. But I mean, if like I said, if, if if my cousin goes from two rounds per year to zero rounds per year and I don't play with him anymore, the game's not suffering that badly. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and so that's why I, I think the, the problem golf is, face is it's facing is not with the avid golfer. You're right. The avid golfer is hooked. Once you hook that person, they are hooked. <laughs> like I said the other day, you're not going to see an avid golfer on weekends. Like, <laughs> just, just get used to that. Um, but... But what we're trying to be more creative with is hooking people into that game. And like you said, the barrier to entry is so huge um, that you really have to convince people right off the bat and like overwhelmingly that it's worth it. Um, so things like what the PGA Tour is doing with the outside the ropes, outside the ropes experiences and um, and Top Golf with just like offering a little taste of what golf can be um, is really cool. So yeah. I think it's effective. And I think it's kind of, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure the the boom you mentioned about from 10 to 15 years ago had a lot to do with one golfer in particular. And yeah. I don't think, but I don't think that particular golfer, I try to, I try to avoid saying his name as much as possible. It's, he's talked about <laughs> way too much. I don't think his current struggles will, would cause any effect on the industry as far as people leaving the game. I mean, it's going to affect television ratings, I think. But people aren't going to stop playing golf just because Tiger's not the guy that he used to be. Right, exactly. Um, I think the people who are really love Tiger, who are golfers, are still going to play golf. You know, yeah. it's they're not going to leave because Tiger left. Now, what we, what, the people we might see leave are the people who really love Tiger, who are not golfers, who never mm -hmm. played. Well, then they might stop watching golf. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's where the danger uh, comes into play as far as 
he's concerned. Um, but, you know, all we need is for some of these younger Americans to start winning. <laughs> um, you know, because they have the celebrity, you know, Ricky Fowler, his celebrity transcends anything he's done on the course or like, you know, everything he's done on the course as a whole. His celebrity goes way beyond that. Um, Jordan Spieth, if, if, you know, as soon as he starts winning, uh, I think his celebrity could be very big. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's promise. Yeah, no, I think um, from a year ago around this time to now, I think the tour has taken a huge leap in that regard. Because we were looking around at this time last year. This was right when Tiger started struggling. He got hurt. Phil had didn't, had no top tens leading into the Masters. And we were looking around like, who is going to win the Masters this year? Like, who? Where, how is this going to happen? There's no, there's no one peaking. Rory, was his game was still not quite there. And you look at the year we've had since around this time last year and how many times we have, we have Patrick Reed's emergence. Rory has returned to the number one player in the world. We have Dustin Johnson yeah. back now. Spieth, while he, he only still only has the one career win, we, we have so many storylines going on in golf currently. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, I feel like the game is in as good of a place as possible to handle the post-Tiger era. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think golfers know that, like you and I and people who play and watch very closely. And soon enough, the general public is going to catch on. I mean, that's just how it goes. Yeah, it would it would be huge if we could get Tiger and Rory and uh, just one weekend, one weekend in a major, uh, these guys going head to head to bring people back in to realize that, you know, there's other extremely talented guys out there. The guys that are are more talented than Tiger is currently. I mean, his 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 ball striking and his his short game obviously are not nearly what it used to be. And Rory has emerged to be the best ball striker in the game. And if you got a chance to see him side by side, I mean, Tiger can still compete with him. I think if he ever gets his game back, but it, it will show people that look, there's guys that can not do what Tiger did because. I think the field strengths are just too strong these days. No one's going to ever dominate like Tiger did. Rory's going to be pretty close to that kind of dominance compare, when you compare it to the different uh, competition level of today, I think. Didn't we get a little taste of that at the PGA uh, yeah. last year? I mean, <laughs> tigerless finish. Yeah, and, and ratings proved it. You know, ratings were high, um, and... And we were all compelled. I mean, everyone I know was glued to their television at the finish. And guess what? There was no Tiger. Like, you know, we, yeah. we had all of today's current stars right in there in the hunt in, in a crazy finish. So, you know, yeah, we saw that. We got a little taste of it at the PGA. And I think um, there's more of that to come for sure. Yeah, and, and it's kind of the same way where I'm not that interested in drawing in those fringe golfers that don't really play the game. The casual fan that only pays attention when Tiger is watching – I, I'm not going to be able to relate to that person, anyways. I can't have a golf conversation yeah. on. I mean, when, and when Tiger gets hurt, and I see Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith talking about it on first take, I'm like, no, like you guys don't don't have the pedigree to be able to weigh in on this. Like we don't. No, you you can't only talk about Tiger. Okay, like there's so much more going on. If you want me to take what you have seriously, you have to show some kind of knowledge of what else is going on. It can't just be Tiger all the time. Absolutely. Unfortunately. A lot of times it is, but it yeah, is. no, I, I absolutely I, agree. 
I, I, I am a little bit hypocritical because anytime he does something, I'm all over Twitter reacting to it every single... I, I'm a sucker for it every single time he does next to anything, so... You know, and that's also... Yeah, no, totally. And that's also why, you know, people ask me, do you want Tiger to play in the Masters? Like, do you want to see him when you're there at Augusta? And I'm just like, honestly, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, I, want it, I want him to play there when if he's ready. Exactly. And I don't think he'll be ready. And if he's not ready and he plays, all he does is, like, bring this circus with him. Yeah, it's it's hugely, enormously distracting because even if you don't want to focus on him, you have to. I mean, you can't not focus <laughs> on him. When they're filming him in the parking lot getting into his yeah. car, there's, oh, nothing, there's about, no golf to watch. What about when they're filming him an hour before he gets to the parking lot, just the parking lot, like, the space that he's going to pull into? <laughs> I mean, that's literally what they did at the PGA Championship. It's... That was just such a joke. I mean, but yeah, it, it it and the a lot of the people in the media will argue. Look, he's the guy that moves the needle. Like he's the guy that generates the page views. And it's like, it's kind of a cyclical thing in my mind. Like the more you talk about it, the more people are kind of forced to care about it and will pay attention. And like, it it's it's when it's all anyone's talking about, you kind of have to weigh in yourself. Like you can't just sit there and ignore yep. it. And so it's it's kind of it's it's cyclical. It's dangerous in that way. But um, again, speaking from a hypocritical standpoint, because we've been talking about Tiger for the last six minutes, so <laughs> <laughs> I might not I be the best authority here. Well, ultimately, I don't. Th- I think a Tigerless Masters will not be a bad thing. You know, it's. We, we, we've we got to start preparing for that, and I think it might be a blessing in disguise, even though a, a healthy Tiger Masters would be amazing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready for a Tigerless Masters. I, if, yep. if, I could, if you could tell me he's going to finish top 25, I would say I definitely want him there. I want, I want the, even the possibility of him making a Sunday charge to be there, but I don't want it to be the first. I mean, if he plays the way he played, obviously, in Phoenix or in San Diego, He's going to miss the cut. It's going to be all Golf Central is talking about and all anyone's talking about when yeah. we could have Jordan Spieth in the lead after 36 holes and, and we're missing out on, on experiencing that. So I'm totally with you. That's exactly what I say is, Tiger, just wait it out until you're ready to come back. No one wants to see what you what we saw in Phoenix and San Diego. But I, for what for as much as I mock how much people talk about him, I honestly don't think the chipping thing has gotten enough attention. Because the best, the <laughs> best player of all time, he yeah. he can't hit a golf ball around the green anymore. Like, how is that physically possible? I don't understand that. Like, imagine you. you I mean, I imagine you play the game at a very high level. I think you played at Virginia. Is that right? I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Imagine like you or one of your teammates or a five handicap that you know just that was sculling and chunking chip shots all over the place. Like, wouldn't that like make your jaw drop? Like to me, if I saw my friends do that, I would, I would be like, Oh my God, this guy's got the yips. What's going on? This is I Tiger know. Woods. This is yeah, Tiger. It's crazy. It, and the shots that he's flubbing are really basic. Yeah. Like they're really basic. Uh, and I keep on telling people who are like just beginning or my friends who are thinking about, you know, playing golf. And I'm just like, Guys, chipping is actually not that difficult. Like, really <laughs> and and athletes are supposed to make these really hard feats look like such a cinch. So he's doing just the opposite, and yeah, it's really mind-boggling. But well, I I can't pretend that I know what the yips feel like or even exactly what it is. And I think maybe he might have it, but I don't know. Um, so. Well, if you need, if you're able to get a sit down with Tiger, he may be able to explain to you what the yips are. Because okay, I'll, I'll get back to you on that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, I want to talk to you a little bit also about not PGA Tour golf and about what you guys are doing in Golf Digest. I know that it feels like I I read Golf Digest growing up, and I I feel like we're entering this kind of social media age. And I, I, I maybe I didn't have the full perspective on it as I was growing up, but I feel like things are changing at Golf Digest and the way you guys cover the game and the way that kind of social media, I think golf is maybe a little behind other sports as far as it being a true second screen experience during events, but I feel like it's catching on more and more. And I feel like you guys are kind of one of the leaders in adapting to the social media age. So what is it, I guess, when did you guys, I guess, start recognizing this craze and what, what specific things are you guys doing to kind of adapt, adapt to a younger audience? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that's two very different answers, whether social media is is one thing that we've uh, kind of been focusing on and then the other is attracting a younger audience which is kind of a more a newer initiative of ours um so i you know i started working at golf digest eight years ago right out of college um and when i started twitter hadn't been a thing facebook literally had just opened up to like adults, you know, like real, like outside of college. I remember my, a coworker at the time friended me on Facebook and he was the first non-college person to friend me on Facebook. And I was just like, that's weird. Like, <laughs> um, now so, everyone's on there, including your grandparents. I know. Yeah. yeah. Grandparents, great grandparents, like <laughs> dogs. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, my job initially was very much writing and editing for a print product for the monthly magazine, and that's it. Um, and then I think it was the 2008 elections is when social media really became a thing for brands and for, for publishing and media companies. Um, and I started kind of picking up on it, and, and I was just like, wow, we can't afford to not be on these platforms. So that's when I started our Twitter account and Facebook page. Um, and just kind of as a pet project on the side, uh, it was me and, and Matt Janella, who is now the kind of courses guru at the Golf Channel. Best job in the world, Matt Best Janella. job he knows in the world. It. He knows it, too. <laughs> the ultimate bachelor. <laughs> anyway, he and I uh, went to Jerry Tardy, the editor-in-chief of Golf Digest, and we were like, Jerry, we got to take these uh, platforms a little more seriously. You know, we're, we're going to start investing a little bit of time in these. Um, he was like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. You know, just make sure you get your jobs done and then do whatever you want besides that. Perfect. So um, we went off and running, and he and I became kind of like the, the duo who just kind of started tweeting and, and Facebooking and sharing the information that we wanted people to read and we thought people were reading, but we wanted to make sure that it was getting in front of their faces. Um, and in the beginning, I, you know, as for everyone, social media was not a great source of referral traffic. Um, and now, you know, fast forward, you know, he's gone on to the Golf Channel and I've hired an awesome person to help me, Corey Bradburn. Um, gosh, 30, 40% of referral traffic can come from social now. And it's just, it's become a huge way, a tremendous way that people consume information and share information. And um, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's, Talk, it, it started off as a, a pet project, and now it's my main job. And um, I can't tell you how many awesome people I've met. And, and the, just the number of people we interact with every day is really cool. Um, 
So we're on Snapchat now. I didn't realize that we would have so many Snapchat followers. A, a legacy brand like Golf Digest really connects with the Snapchatters. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's um, what I was going to ask next is every time – do you get a bump in pay every time there's a new app at least where you have to keep up with all these social media? There's a new Chris, app. That's I think. a great idea. <laughs> I will not Snapchat unless I get a bump in pay. <laughs> no. The the uh, the secret, and don't tell my boss. Okay. No one listens <laughs> to this podcast is... anyway, so you're fine. Secret is I would do my job for free. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, – I don't need the bump in pay. But, yeah, so that's kind of what we're doing socially. Um, it's We're just, you know, trying to be – share relevant information in a timely way and um, – kind of uh, be someone's best friend who knows everything about golf. That's our goal. Yeah, I think uh, in general, the social media age, people have kind of changed the way they receive news and they wait. They basically can filter for what they want to see, like on their Twitter feed or on their Facebook feed, and they are filtering for what headline seems appealing to them. It's it's not instead of, you know, me going to golfdigest.com to figure out what I want to read today, I wait for a tweet that Mike sounds interesting to me, then I'm going to read that. I don't go to cnn.com for news i wait for a headline that i'm i want i need to read and i think uh you can tell which companies are behind on it and which companies are you know in golf especially like we're going down the stretch of a pga tournament with two holes left and they're tweeting a story about the guy that lost in the hero hero indian open 12 hours earlier that is not relevant at all. Like no one no one cares about that. So you can tell who, who has their ear to the street and, and is ahead of the game versus the ones that are still kind of figuring this uh, social media era out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think the PGA Tour does a fabulous job. Um, and now with Scratch TV, mm-hmm. um, I, they really get that people uh, maybe might not be tuned into their TV, which is by the way, a heavy kind of rectangular box that's like fixated and mounted to their wall in a living room. You know, it's, they're looking at their phones. They're, you know, outside. And, and that's how they're consuming information is they're very mobile. Um, and PJ Tour uh, really kind of gets that, I think. And, you know, DJ over there has been doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, but I think it's also, I don't know, for me, I, I be, I've picked up new hobbies and become interested in things because I hear chatter on social media. Like, if I'm not watching golf and I see 50 people reacting to Rory throwing his club in the water, like, I yeah. feel like I'm missing out. So it, it, it's yeah. like you need people talking about what you're doing on social media. And I think I have a maybe an overblown perception of how many people use Twitter and use social media. But yeah. to me, it feels like a big community. And when, when I see... You know, people freaking out during the final round of the PGA. Like, if I wasn't in front of a TV at that time, I would have been, I'd have been panicking. I was like, jitters. So, yeah. So it <laughs> it does drive it drives a ton of interest, I think. And I think uh, the PGA Tour has come a long way in how they how they react to that. I think the European Tour does a great job with that too. Yes. Um, the highlights, getting immediate highlights out, is such a key. Getting the gifts out and and the the things that people want to see is uh, it, it it's changed the game in the last four years alone. Yeah, and European Tour is a great example of, here's a tour that a lot of people in America don't pay attention to. That's the sad truth, uh, because there's so much talent there and so many, you know, great players. A lot of people in America do not pay attention to European Tour for a plethora of reasons, you know, um, kind of unknown names, different time zones, uh, you know, all those things. But... European tour on social has made them relevant, you know, to a lot of people who use social media and consume information that way. 
I mean, they are just killing it. They make you want to tune in. So it's it's really cool. Yeah, it would help if they played European tour events on the continent of Europe because yeah, I think that, <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, <laughs> they need to rename that tour. I'm sorry, they they absolutely need to. I think one of their first twenty events of the year this year, I looked it up. Only one is in Europe, and it's an island off Portugal, Madeira. That's the only. That's the only one of their first twenty events of the year that's actually in Europe. So when I, I just moved to Europe about six months ago, and everyone told me, "Oh, you're going to become the European tour expert." I'm like, they play PGA tour events closer to me than they do European <laughs> tour events. It should be like Planet Earth everywhere but America. Planet yeah. Earth tour. <laughs> the, 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 the world tour that Greg Norman dreamed of is what the European tour currently is. Right. I, mean, I get it. It's it's cold this time of year in Europe. We don't have the West Coast and the Florida Swing and, and areas of the of the continent that are are really warm enough to play a lot of golf. But um, yeah, yeah, they just need to rename it. That's that's my only beef with the European tour at this point. Yeah, this is very true. I've never thought about that. Um, <laughs> But going back to like how Golf Digest is now trying to attract that younger audience, that's a very different initiative for us mm-hmm. than even social. I mean, social plays into that for sure. Instagrammers and Snapchatters are by far younger than um, than our traditional print reader. Um, but yeah, uh, last year or two years ago, we started researching millennial golfers and what they want. Uh, we did qualitative and quantitative research. I kind of hate that word now. It's such a buzzword. Um, but it just means, like, younger people. It does, it does sound like you're speaking from a PowerPoint right now. But, yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm not. Um, and so we researched them, and we really we unearthed some, some pretty interesting kind of facts about how they approach the game differently than – you know, their older kind of counterparts, you know, uh, younger golfers listen to music while they play much more often than um, older golfers. And, you know, we hate wearing jeans, you know, but older golfers, you'll see them in jeans, you know, because younger golfers tend to care about style more and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So it was really kind of interesting to um, read about all that. And then we use what we learned um, as sort of a kind of paintbrush to kind of paint the new Golf Digest. And the core of like what we are um, hasn't changed. We're, we'll always be what to play, where to play, how to play. Um, mm-hmm. More pages are devoted to instruction in these like redesigned issues than ever before. Um, it, but the kind of information that surrounds that is far different. You know, two years ago we would never have written about smoking weed on the golf course <laughs> <laughs> um, or peeing on the golf course. <laughs> Or um, flying drones and, you know, how to listen to music on the golf course, you know, smartphones. We're writing about all that now. Um, And even two, two, three years ago, we never would have. So that's really kind of the the real kind of difference for us is not only are we kind of uh, writing about relevant, very relevant, maybe some taboo topics. um, We're, yeah. (laughs) We're also kind of incorporating this element of surprise with every issue, um, mm-hmm. and hence the covers and all that. So it's it's been fun. Yeah, I, I, we've been kind of bowing the same thing as far as we, when we started out. I think everything we did kind of followed the same theme, and it was right. kind of repetitive. And it, it, we still at this uh, you know, at times, you know, we're when we're previewing tournaments, it sounds the same week over week, but. You need to learn that, you, like we were talking about earlier, about people kind of picking what they want to read, picking different headlines, that you need to create different material for different types of people. I mean, me personally, I this may be blasphemous to say as a golf fan, but 
I, I don't care about equipment. I don't know anything about yeah. equipment. Like I don't, I just don't. Like if I, I don't read articles about equipment. I know I play clubs that are five, six, ten years old at times. I should probably I upgrade. That I know. Hurts me. <laughs> I know. Like, but that's just how I am. I don't, I don't care about it. So I'm never gonna. I don't really write about equipment ever. That's, but some people love to read that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you need variety. You need to be doing different things. As far as, I mean, like for us, I think I posted. You know, we post a preview every week of every tournament. And it gets around the same amount of traffic every every week. And then I post something about the two people that Tiger Woods follows on Instagram. And it blows the preview traffic out of the water. Like the stuff that people care about isn't necessarily Crazy. what we want to be writing about. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I feel like with digital, you know, when we were just a print product, like we kind of guessed what people liked yeah. and but it was always a delayed thing like we never really knew instantly what people liked but now with the web you're just like whoa it, it blows your mind what stories do really well and then which ones fall flat that you might think do amazingly well um, uh, and more exactly. often than not which is pretty sad the pieces that you invest a lot of time and energy in are the ones that fall flat <laughs> Uh, the pieces but like with the you, most thought are usually the ones people just gloss right over. Like, no, nope, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to try to comprehend that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People like them short. They like pictures, and they like it on juicy topics. That's pretty much what I. What, what I does that mean, Chris, for like our future? Like, <laughs> I wonder that. Like, are we gonna have? Like, I wonder. Like, these kids. First, I think about this when. We see these kids that have these crazy names, like the parents that are just naming these kids these weird, trendy names. Like, are yeah. we gonna have a president someday named like Brayden, or like, are you are you gonna have a <laughs> a doctor operating on you named Jaden or something like that? Like, how is that gonna work? Like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> these are exactly things I right. think about. These are things I think about. But I'll blame it on Amsterdam. <laughs> ah. see, see, I'm guessing that you, everyone in the U.S. has the same perception of Amsterdam. They think it's this crazy, crazy place, and it's not. Yeah. It's really not. It's really not. I speak out every time somebody gives me tries to give me <laughs> tries to give me uh, some crap about it. It's probably, have you have you ever been? Nope. See, you're missing nope. out. I, I did, know. I did teach you some Dutch words today. Have you been, have you been practicing? Um, I will. <laughs> <laughs> You but shouldn't it's be cool learning to learn from me. Another language. You should not be no? learning from me, anyways. No, I'm not very good. Oh it's, come on! No, you're, it's, you're a brilliant person. <laughs> not at speaking Dutch. Trust me. If you heard this language, if you heard what three sentences of this language, you'd be like, "That's that's disgusting." Done. I'm not gonna learn. Yeah. I'm not gonna try to learn that language. It's a <laughs> Are lot you of, speaking it? Uh, yeah. In beach, in beach, explain in beach in Netherlands. Oh, there you go. I hope there no Dutch go. people are listening because that would they would laugh at my accent. Every time okay. I try it at work, everyone laughs. It's it's pretty it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's funny. So awesome. I wanted to ask with I'm, I don't know about you. I'm in full masters mode. We're less than a month away. Yeah. Um, I'm not particularly. I'm looking forward to any tournaments between. Looking forward to any tournaments between now and then. Um, I'm I'm going to be traveling a lot of the next month, not paying attention to a lot of golf. But I want to know what are your what traditions do you have for the Masters? Like what 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 is how do you take it in? How do you watch it? Do you have parties? What do you what do you do for the Masters? You're one of the biggest golf fans on the planet. We need to know how Ashley Mayo celebrates the Masters. Oh man! Well, I used to host a Sunday Masters kind of gathering, but I've been lucky enough the past two years and this year will be my third year to actually go to the masters. Oh, so God. I know <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't, I should have been prepared for this answer. I don't know why. Yeah. I wasn't. 
so, you know, I feel like um, a great master's gathering includes, you know, oh, well, I was, t- I was tweeting about azaleas this morning. I mean, definitely make an azalea, which is a vodka-based <laughs> drink that they serve at, at Augusta. Um, pimento cheese sandwiches are kind of a good idea, but not really because people won't eat them. Like, <laughs> they're actually kind of gross. <laughs> they, I've had them. I've been to Augusta. I've had them. They're not that special. People overreact no. to this. It's, it's literally just spread on pimento cheese. There's nothing special yeah. about this cheese. Yeah. No, Sorry they're... to burst anyone's bubble that's never been, but go for the golf and the golf course. Don't go for the pimento cheese sandwiches. There's a thousand Absolutely other not. things that are better about the Masters than the pimento cheese sandwich. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and everyone's like, what? It's like a grilled cheese. It's like a grilled cheese before they grill it. Yeah. It's soft. <laughs> it it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of mushy. The cheese is cold. Yeah. yeah it's actually hot out. It's just, it doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't hit the spot. I force myself to have one, and then I call it. Yeah, you, you kind of um, do have to, and there's going to be some people that are going to hate on us for this conversation, I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, one of, I, I think the greatest assignment that I've ever had for Golf Digest was to write about my first master's experience for the following year's master's preview package. Um, and we do that every year, and guys like Tom Brokaw have done it. So <laughs> so when they asked me to do it, uh, I was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> Um, and I gotta say, uh, what the kind of the, I always knew that the course was going to be hillier than in person than it looks on TV. And man, that is true. Like the undulations that you see on that course and those green complexes are amazing. Like they really you can't do it justice. The TV no. cannot do it justice. And I, you, I, Absolutely I, I, not. I, people told me the same thing. The first thing people tell you about Augusta is you won't believe how hilly it is. And you can describe the tenth hole to people. You can tell them how hilly that hole is. That is a cliff. That hole goes off a cliff like that. I've never, I've never yes. seen a hole go that far downhill. Like people don't. I don't understand why it doesn't show up better on TV. But it, and that is that hole is a theater. I mean, that hole literally looks it like is. a theater to me. Yeah, it's amazing. It's gorgeous. It's stunning. Um, yeah, but and, I kind of I knew at, that going in. What? I was just say the slopes of the greens. I mean, like there's certain spots on number eight. If you if you get behind the green, if you're on the wrong side of a hill, you can't see the green surface. Like just there's oh, a yeah. hill right next to the green, and you cannot see it. Yeah, and I don't think you fully appreciate on TV also that there's like no rough there. I mean, now there used to be absolutely zero rough. Uh, right. Now there's this like first cut, at, you know, far away from. <laughs> Don't, from where do not play let them happens. catch you. You might get your badge taken away if you they hear you calling it rough at all. Just all be right. careful with that. It's there. It's it's Augusta's version of rough, which is still very pristine. Um, but it's amazing to know that the ball can just kind of roll and roll and roll and just go on forever. Um, and you you really kind of pick up on that when you're there in person, especially. You know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. But what got me and I think what. Yeah, that um, kind of made me. Everything is so close together too. It's an old golf course. Back like old golf courses, just in general, the holes are all very close together. I always felt like I was missing out on something because you're only a hole away and you hear this huge roar, but it's so close to yeah. you. You're like, whoa, what did I just miss? Yeah. <laughs> and I was there in the practice round uh, in 2012. I was like behind hole number three for some reason, which 16 green kind of sits near the third green. It was the day that Martin Keimer skipped it off the pond in the practice round uh. and made a hole in one. 
So we we see everyone okay. stand up and jump. We missed, but we missed it. We missed the whole thing. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but what a spot to be. Sixteen. Oh, oh my gosh. God. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I mean, it, it, you can't do that place justice. I mean, I, I'm dying to get back there, yeah. and I, my dad gets to go for the first time this year. So it's. Uh, oh, amazing! I know he won four tickets, and he's like, "Are you gonna be uh, gonna be able to make it?" And I'm like. I kind of live 5,000 miles away now, so I'm probably not going to be able to make it. I know. I know. You're making a face at me right now, but I, I really can't. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing, though, that totally took me off guard and that I was overwhelmed by was the smell at Augusta. And just, I, I don't know if it's a mix of, like, pine needles with the flowers, like the azaleas and all that, but the smell, it's like perfume. Um, you just kind they of must pump that in. walk around and it's like this garden more than a golf course, um, smell and look and everything. But yeah, it was that smell that kind of just blew me away. I was, this is amazing. <laughs> they so, must pump that I, smell I in with the, that. with the bird sounds that they are uh, accused of pumping into the right. broadcast sometimes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, who yeah. are your, uh, who, what kind of sleepers are you looking at for the masters? I mean, uh, we know the favorites are going to be Bubba, Rory, Adam Scott, you have anyone out there that somebody hasn't thought of yet that you like their chances at Augusta? Maybe a Snedeker, or a, a, if you want to find your way to my heart, Brooks Kepka. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, I mean, Spieth did so well there last year, and no one's really talking about him uh, entering the year. I don't think he's had a great, um, like, a fabulous start to the season. But uh, the way he handled himself last year was really amazing. Um, you know, he was. First time playing in the Masters, um, really kind of hung in there the entire front nine on Sunday. Let it go. Uh, well, you know, Bubba just played really well <laughs> on the back nine. Although Jordan made some mistakes um, going down the stretch for sure. But I think um, for some reason he just feels comfortable out there. It looked like he was really comfortable. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays really well there again this year. We also see, um, you know, Jason Day has played really well there um, in previous years and this will be interesting because he's not injured this year and we haven't really seen that in a long time um, so I think uh, he's he's the guy that I bet on late last year <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm sticking to sticking to him um, I think he'll he'll play really well at Augusta. You know you just jinxed him right for his injury. I don't believe in jinxes. Okay. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I can all right. I can jinx all you want. <laughs> okay, so not. from one amazing golf course to another, uh, I, I forget who wanted me to ask you this today, but we're dying to know how you got on Pine Valley last year. Sorry, I didn't get the last part. Sorry, yeah. how did you get on Pine Valley last year? We're dying oh. to know. Well, Chris, I played Pine Valley twice last year. Oh God, you, this is just insufferable. <laughs> This is insufferable. <laughs> um, first time was with uh, Pine Valley has like this charity day and it's on a Tuesday. Normally women can play only on Sundays, um, but this was a Tuesday. And since it was for charity, <laughs> that they allowed me to play. Um, and, you know, it was an awesome event. Um, members can host these foursomes. Uh, and uh, again, all the money went to or all the money. Yeah. Uh, went to charity and that's how I played there the editor-in-chief of Golf Digest is a member at, at Pine Valley so um, he's the one who kind of hosted us um, 
So that was my first time at PV. Second time was with another member. Um, it was really funny. Uh, three years ago, I had lunch with his daughter, who's really interested in media and breaking in. Not golf media, more fashion media. And being that Golf Digest is part of Condé Nast, which is the fashion capital of media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was really like pumped about having lunch with me. Um, at the time, and for three years, I had no idea her dad was a member at Pine Valley. But... Um, he reached out and just kind of said, you know, the lunch that you had, uh, with Lily was so awesome that, uh, I want to kind of say thank you by inviting you out to Pine Valley. So I don't know, I guess be a good person. <laughs> can you, can you forward me her contact info? Cause I would like to take her out to lunch as well. <laughs> we'll gladly pick up the tab if that's what that involves. Yeah, yeah, and Pine Valley, I mean, what a what a dream. Uh, the second time was even better because, like, the first time you're just so in awe and you're seeing things that you've never seen before in terms of just, like, golf course architecture, um, that the second time you can really just kind of appreciate it. So it, that was fun. Everyone says, says the same things about Pine Valley. I've never heard a bad word about it, but as someone that's never been there before, I've only seen pictures, and I've seen pictures of... I mean, I've, I've played Pebble Beach, I've, I've been to Augusta, and to me, those pop out on camera a lot more than Pine yeah. Valley does. So what is it about Pine Valley, you touched on the architecture, but what is it that makes it so special and that everyone that walks away from there agrees that it's the greatest golf course ever? Yeah, I think the reason why Pebble and all that looks so stunning, and even Bandon uh, in hmm. photos, is okay. you have the coast. Yeah, yep. don't get me started on Bandon. <laughs> no, we can talk about Bandon. We yeah, can do a whole other another Bandon podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but you have the coast and the water and just waves crashing and blue skies and that kind of <laughs> contrast with the green. It, it just, it, it looks amazing. Um, at Pine Valley, Pine Valley is in New Jersey on the border of like Philly and you definitely don't have coast or anything close to that. Um, but what you have is the actual holes and like the architecture and design of those those holes. And so it's kind of even more interesting than Pebble and, and Bandon in a way because you're just forced to kind of appreciate the golf hole for the golf hole and not for the environment that it's in. Um, and so I think the most kind of special, unique thing about Pine Valley is each of the 18 holes are so different. Like, you never feel like you're playing the same hole twice, not even close. And not only are they so different, each of them incorporates, like, an, a design of, like, an architectural element that you probably have never seen before. Um, and more often than not, you've never seen them. Like, you know, just the first green sits up on top and like three sides of the first screen just drop way down so you know you're it's just it's an awesome way to start not only that is it's a dog leg uh right and you know placement is just key and so every shot is just um you have to think about it so much more than than your normal uh kind of golf course uh the eighth hole is has a double green so sometimes it's you, you have to go to the left green and other days you have to go to the right green that left green, you know, the eighth hole is a short par four. You're never really going to have more than maybe 80 yards into the green. Hardest approach shot <laughs> <laughs> ever. I mean, not only is, this, it is, is it a small green, it has the most severe false front uh, you'll ever see. And then that false front is guarded by bunkers. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's just kind of um, the, yeah, like I said, it's like walking 
in art. It's like interactive art. <laughs> Pine Valley. Well, I don't, you know? I don't believe you, so I'm going to have to have you prove it. I'm going to have to have you get me out there to prove to me oh. that this this course oh, is sure. this nice. I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if I ever hear of anyone needing a fourth, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. yeah. I will I will get on a plane from Amsterdam and, and make it to New Jersey. Don't, no worries Perfect. about that. <laughs> Well, along the same lines, we had a, a couple people asking some uh, tweet in some questions for the podcast, and Brad Replinger asked if you could be given a membership to any club for free, where would it be? Oh my gosh! The easiest answer ever is National Golf Links of America. Um, wow! For, I was not expecting that. Okay. Yep. For a few reasons. Uh, one, the golf course, very much like Pine Valley, is super unique and fun, and you see kind of elements of design that you won't see anywhere else. Um, two, the golf course itself and like the membership um, is surprisingly relaxed. Uh, it's not stuffy as you might imagine. Um, you know, people are really laid back. The clubhouse overlooks the 18th green, which overlooks water. Um, it's a, kind of just a beautiful spot to be. Um, three, it's local. <laughs> it's in Long Island <laughs> and I'm in, uh, in Manhattan. So, uh, I think that would definitely, my gosh, be a dream come true. I could play that course, you know, every day of the year and have a different experience there every single time. So that, that for me is, is huge. All right. Well, I'm going to tell the gentleman who, uh, that, who invited you out to Pine Valley that you didn't choose his club. For your number one club, and then I'm just you're going to start some fights. Yeah, <laughs> I just moved up one ri- one ring on the list of uh, guy- <laughs> people he's going to invite out to Pine Valley. Please, I would uh, go to Pine Valley in a hurry as well. <laughs> but, yeah. All right, Sean Seminets, I believe how you pronounce it. He wants to know what your favorite spot, favorite bar, favorite place to go in New York City is. Oh gosh, well, there's a few options. Talking- yeah, yeah. Always a few options when it comes to places to go in New York City. Um, if you're talking straight alcohol, <laughs> uh, Pony Bar is just like craft beer king. Like if you're looking for craft beer, Pony Bar will have it, and it's a really cool environment. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. But if you're looking for like like beer and food and sports. Um, there's a great little spot that a friend and I go to all the time called the Jeffrey. Uh, and it's in Midtown and um, it has a backyard area and it's really great. And he's also a, a huge golfer. So we go there a lot after our rounds on the weekends and, and just kind of, um, uh, can I curse? No. Yes, you absolutely can. <laughs> we shoot the shit. Yeah, okay. I didn't know in the eloquent way of saying that. You follow us on Twitter. Uh, you know you're allowed to curse. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> So that's those are my favorite bars in in the city, uh, okay. but oh, and there's speakeasies also. Speakeasies. There's a, yeah, quite a few great speakeasies in Manhattan. My favorite happens to be Rain's Law Room. Are um, you supposed to be talking I, about these? Aren't these supposed to be secretive? I guess they're supposed to be. In the 1920s, <laughs> they were right. <laughs> um, but yeah, this place is unmarked. You go down this like flight of stairs, um, knock on a door. The guy takes down a guy who's fully dressed in like 1920s garb, uh, writes down your phone number, says he'll call you when they're ready um, every single time. Even like for when a date? No or... Yeah. <laughs> I want this job. <laughs> then he calls unmarked number in like 20 minutes, and then you walk in, and it's like walking back in time. So it's really cool. Okay. 
I think I'm not. I've been in New York several times, but I know it's probably probably a touristy spot. But McSorley's is a place that I always end up oh, at in New York my gosh. City. McSorley's is awesome. Okay. Yeah, touristy it, or not, McSorley's okay. is amazing. Because I get fifty-fifty reactions from New Yorkers on that one. Because some people are like, yeah. "Oh, you need, yeah, you know, everyone goes to McSorley's. The hipsters usually are the ones that ha- that are hating on it." So. Oh, hipsters hate everything. That's their job. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I it's love a, McSorley's. Yeah, you can only order two kinds of beer, light or dark. And the waiters and waitresses yeah. there, they, they can they have these mugs that can they can carry up to eight mugs in one hand at a time, just the way that the <laughs> mugs all fit together. I don't know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be the oldest bar in America. A lot of people a lot of bars claim that, but that's my favorite spot in New York that I've been to. So. Yeah, no. And, and for that reason, my favorite burger joint in New York uh, is Corner Bistro. Because they have so few options to choose from. You know, cheeseburger or hamburger. Keep <laughs> like, it simple. You can Absolutely. only pay in cash. Yeah, yeah. Love it. That's what I do miss about America is, the, is a good old good old hamburger, a cheeseburger. I will, uh, yeah. Oh, you, made, you just made me hungry. I haven't had dinner yet. so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to let you go. We almost kept you an hour here. But uh, thanks for taking time out of your day. and uh, Of course. For all your interaction and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, we will definitely do this again sometime. Sorry it took as long as it did. But uh, yeah. happy to have you no. back. Happy to chat. Thank you so much. Um, you're you're an awesome follow, and, and it's great to finally uh, chat with you. In yeah, or kind of in person. Kind of in person. <laughs> kind of feels like it. Yeah, for the first time. So, for anyone Fantastic. still left listening, this was uh, Ashley Mayo from Golf Digest. You can follow her on Twitter at Ashley Mayo, and I'm sure you guys are probably already doing that. So, until <laughs> next time. Thanks again, Ashley. Thank you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah! That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.